Welcome back to another episode of Worship This Week, where we exist to equip and prepare worshipers at Tabernacle Baptist Church. I'm John Strickland, the Associate Pastor of Worship and Media. Welcome back after a holiday break. I hope and trust everybody had a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Last time, uh, before the holiday break, we started examining the question, what is worship? So we're just going back to the very beginning, trying to shape our understanding of what the Bible teaches about worship. Where, where do we begin? Well, what is worship? And we started by looking at some dictionary definitions because the first thing we need to kind of deconstruct is how do we use the word worship in English? What do we mean when we say that? What do most English-speaking people understand it to be? Uh, we read the Bible in English. The, the Bible translates several different words uh, from Greek and Hebrew to the word worship. And so what, is that, what does that English word mean? Uh, we looked at that from two different dictionary definitions, kind of how that uh, combines with our understanding of biblical worship and then maybe how it doesn't. How does our definition of worship as believers, as Bible readers, how does it need to maybe shift or change or develop or, or, or even go deepen based on our understanding of the biblical aspect of worship, the biblical concept of worship? So today we're going to look at still at language and still at the words for worship, but this time into the original languages of the Bible itself in Hebrew and primarily Greek. Now there are multiple words in Hebrew that uh, can mean worship. We're going to forego maybe an in-depth study in the Hebrew uh, words. That's a worthwhile endeavor, but for our purposes, we're looking to get more to the applicational a use of this uh, topic, a more of a practical application of, of what worship is uh, to us as New Testament believers. And so we're going to look more at the Greek and the New Testament, uh, but it's going to help us to look at how the New Testament understands the Old Testament. So the first thing to really look at is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. So how did Greek writers and Greek readers translate the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek, when they saw the word for worship in Hebrew, what Greek word did they use? And then we look at the New Testament and say, what words did the New Testament authors use when they were talking about worship? And does there, does that reveal anything? I think we will see that it does. So in the Old Testament, the word hishtahava is a primary word for worship, and it's translated in the Greek translation of the Old Testament 171 times. And 164 of those times, the Greek word that's used is proskuneo. So the Greek word proskuneo being translated for the Hebrew word hishtahava 164 times out of the 171 times that that word appears in the Old Testament. So overwhelmingly, this is the word of choice when the New Testament uh, Greek-speaking people uh understood the word worship. When they saw the word hishtahavah in Hebrew, the main, almost exclusive translation of that was proskuneo. So then we understand the word proskuneo as meaning worship. And so in the New Testament, then we can look. How often does that word come up originally in the New Testament? So not as a translation of the Old Testament, but how often did the New Testament writers use that word uh, to describe what they wanted to discuss in terms of Worship. What we see is very interesting. 
So in the Gospels, at the beginning of the New Testament, the four Gospels, and then in the end of the New Testament, the book of Revelation, we see them using the word proskuneo 47 times. However, in between those, in, the, in Acts and the Epistles, we only see the word proskuneo used seven times. So seven times in Acts and in Epistles, which is not very many considering how... Uh, how many times that's not used when different passages are discussing worship. But then in the Gospels and in Revelation, we see the word proskuneo 47 times. And so what conclusion might we draw from that observation? Uh, well, John Piper, in his study on worship uh, called Gravity and Gladness, um, he points to this and says, the difference between the Gospels and Revelation and the Epistles is the physical presence of God, the physical presence of Jesus Christ. And so he relates that to the Old Testament, where much of worship was related to the physical presence of God being in the tabernacle or in the temple. So we see this external understanding of the word worship in the Old Testament. And then in the Gospels, where Jesus is present, we see that same word being used, that same connotation, that same understanding. And then in Revelation, where we're in heaven and Jesus is returning, we see it again being used. But in the middle, the time in between Christ's ascension and his return... Uh, we only see that word being used seven times, very sparingly. And instead, the New Testament authors have shifted. And John Piper calls this shift the intensification of worship as an inward experience of the heart. That's very important uh, to his understanding, and then it'll be very important as we move forward. Uh, the next couple of episodes, we'll be talking about uh, various authors and theologians' definitions of worship that they have originated and what they have included in them. And we will see... Uh, very clearly that this, uh, what Piper calls the intensification of worship as the inward experience of the heart, in contrast to the Old Testament understanding of worship as primarily an external activity or an external expression, an external action, uh, is going to become very important in how we understand what the New Testament authors of the epistles, Paul and the other apostles who wrote uh, the epistles, and then also in the book of Acts, but what they meant to communicate to us uh, when they were talking about worship. So while proskuneo is often used to describe the physical action of bowing down in worship, uh, latruo is most often used, uh, is often used to translate as serve and then also as worship. So we see a, a slightly different connotation. Uh, so while both of these Greek words can be translated into English as worship, um, their other connotations separate them uh, so that proskuneo is more of a physical manifestation and latruo uh, becomes more of an internal manifestation of the word serve or worship. There's several def uh, examples of this. Uh, so in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, um, in the book of Exodus chapter 23, we see both of these words being used um, when God is telling uh, the Israelites not to bow down or serve other gods. He says, you shall not bow down, proskuneo, to their gods, nor serve 
latruo them. So the Greek translation separates those two ideas, bow down and serve, as proskuneo and latruo. And Deuteronomy 8, uh, 19 does the same thing. If you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them, latruo, and worship them, proskuneo. So two different concepts here, serve and worship. Uh, interestingly, the English word worship being used for for proskuneo, the external, and then serve being used for latruo to distinguish those ideas. Uh, and then Daniel chapter 3, uh, the story of uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, it says, These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve latruo, your gods, or worship proskuneo, the golden image that you have set up. Uh, and then we move to the New Testament. So those are uh, Greek translations of the Old Testament. So then how does this word latruo get used then in the New Testament? In Romans chapter 1, it says, For God is my witness, whom I serve, Latruo, with my spirit in the gospel of his son. Um, so Paul's saying that he serves God, uses the word Latruo, with his spirit. So serving God with my spirit. Internal. Philippians chapter 3. We are the circumcision who worship Latruo by the spirit of God. Uh, we worship by the spirit of God. Latruo, again, being used and translated in English this time as worship. Um, but again, the internalization, the intensification of worship as the inward experience of the heart versus an external uh, an external observance or action. Uh, and then finally, the verb form of the word latruo comes up in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, one of the most well-known verses uh, about worship that we'll again be talking about uh, frequently, most likely, as we continue on. Uh, but I, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, the word being latreia. So, while the word uh, proskuneo is often used to describe the physical action of bowing down in worship, and that was how the New Testament Greek speakers connected the idea of worship to the Old Testament by translating that Old Testament word hishtahava to proskuneo most, most of the time, almost exclusively in their Greek translations of the Old Testament. The New Testament epith epistle authors speaking to us as New Testament believers uh, intentionally wanted us to understand worship by using the word latruo. And we can understand that as a as a shift toward understanding worship as an inward experience of the heart. So worship begins in the heart. That's what we should understand from this short uh, but helpful little word study. Uh, worship uh, in the Old Testament was external. It was also internal, but it was described and practiced and emphasized as external actions, the sacrificial system, the system of the temple, the tabernacle, the priestly system. Uh, and in the New Testament, we see a decided shift. Uh, we see a focus on the inward experience of the heart, the condition of the heart, the attitude of the heart. And that is what is most often used to describe what worship is in the New Testament, how we as believers should understand the concept of worship. Now let's take a look forward to January 10th, 2021, and how we will worship together at Tabernacle on Sunday morning. 
We'll begin our service with the call to worship from Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. And it goes on to say, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, you know, one good piece of advice that I uh, received and uh, about worship leading and how to address the congregation and how uh, we come together is that everybody comes to worship on Sunday morning uh, struggling with one of three things or two of them or all three of them at the same time. Everyone comes to Sunday morning struggling with suffering, with sin, or with self-sufficiency. So we're all coming to worship God. We're all coming into this time on Sunday morning and trying to focus on the Lord. And we're either struggling with suffering that we're dealing with in our lives, things that are happening to us, around us, to our families, to our loved ones. Or we are dealing with sin, our own sin, struggling with the consequences of that sin, the weight, the guilt. Or we're struggling with self-sufficiency, which is the idea that maybe we're not suffering at this moment, maybe we're not ha dealing with guilt over sin at this moment, but we are still going to be struggling with the idea that we can sustain ourselves. We need to constantly be reminded to put our dependence and our trust in the Lord. And so we're all starting there, one of those places, or all of them together. So what better, what better thing to be reminded of as we begin, before we even sing one word or sing one note, that God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. That ought to be enough for no matter what baggage we're bringing with us, we, we shouldn't forget about it. We shouldn't set it aside and check it at the door uh, and somehow compartmentalize worship apart from the rest of our lives. But being reminded of this truth should be enough to help us engage in worship, to help us see the bigger picture, to help us put those things that we're dealing with into perspective. Our sufferings are temporary. We know that we shall be saved from the wrath of God because while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. How much does that overshadow the things that we can deal with in this life? If we're struggling with sin, then we're reminded that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If we're struggling with our self-sufficiency, then we're reminded that it was necessary for Christ to die for us, that we did not have the ability to sustain ourselves and to make payment for our own sin. Uh, so regardless of where we're starting from, uh, we have a reminder here to be called to worship, to respond to the Lord. And so this Sunday, we're going to respond with the hymn, Praise Him, Praise Him, written by Fanny Crosby in 1869. And I love the last verse, especially the days that we're living in and the things that we're going through in our world. Um, Jesus, our Savior, reigneth forever and ever. Crown him, crown him, prophet and priest and king. Christ is coming over the world victorious. Power and glory 
unto the Lord belong. And then we're going to go straight into, There is a fountain filled with blood, written by William Cooper in 1772. And I love how this helps us acknowledge our sinfulness and at the same time assure us of Christ's forgiveness through the blood of through, the, through, through his blood, God's forgiveness through the blood of Christ. The second verse says, The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day, and there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. Uh, Ere since by faith I saw the stream, thy flowing wounds supply, redeeming love has been my theme, and shall be till I die. Beautiful hymns. And we'll have our pastoral prayer, and then as we give thanks to God, we'll sing, My Jesus, I love thee, I know thou art mine. For thee, all the follies of sin I resign. Meaning, I repent, I give up all of the follies of sin, because I love the Lord. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior art thou, if ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now and I love I love the candor of the third verse because it might make us a little uncomfortable, uh, but it's it's so important to acknowledge these things. And and there's a lot in the contemporary worship movement that that likes to talk about relevance and uh, and you know real being real and being authentic and being relevant. Yet from my perspective, a lot of songs and, and attitudes in contemporary worship avoid a lot of real and authentic topics and kind of sugarcoat things and gloss over a lot of things, whereas some of these classic hymns just hit the nail right on the head and really force us to acknowledge some difficult realities and think about some difficult things. The third verse says, I'll love thee in life, I will love thee in death. And praise thee as long as thou lendest me breath. And say, when the death dew lies cold on my brow. What a stark, uncomfortable image. I have to think about. I'm, I'm saying that I'm, I'm thinking about when I'm lying on my deathbed. And the death dew, this cold sweat is on my forehead. Because I'm about to die. I'm committing myself that I will still love the Lord as much as I do now. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. How often do do we, you know, I think if, if you were to go to a consultant, uh, a church consultant, a church growth consultant, they might say, ooh, let's not talk about death. That turns people off. Uh, yet the Bible talks about it. It's part of life. It's what we should be doing. We should be remembering and reminding ourselves with biblical truth how to cope with and how to deal with and how to understand uh, the most serious, the most important things that happen to us in our lives. And of course, death is one of those. And so the fourth verse then, we don't leave it there. In mansions of glory and endless delight, I'll ever adore thee in heaven so bright. The reason that we can face death with confidence and the reason that we can sing that we love the Lord even when we're on our deathbeds, because we know what we're looking forward to, we know what he's promised and what he will deliver. I'll sing with the glittering crown on my brow. I love that contrast. The image of the, of the cold sweat on my, on my brow 
And then the next verse, it says, I'll sing with the glittering crown on my brow. That cold sweat of death has been replaced with the crown of glory. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. Great hymn, uh, again, written by William Featherston in 1864. So then we'll have our sermon, and then as a response to the word, uh, before we apart, we'll sing another well-loved hymn, uh, It is well with my soul, when peace like a river attendeth my way, or when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot. Peaceful times, or in sorrowful times, or in tumultuous times, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say it is well, it is well with my soul. I want to talk about the third verse of this hymn because it's my favorite, and it's one of my favorite verses of any hymn. Uh, it really stands out. Uh, the poetry is just beautiful. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole. He, he interrupts himself. So he starts with the thought of my sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross. All of my sin, not just part of it, is nailed to the cross. But the way he writes the poetry, he, he interrupts himself and says, my sin, wait a second, the bliss of this glory, how wonderful and glorious is this thought? And then he continues, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Uh, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. You know, Pastor Scott last week told us, you know, if it took until January 3rd uh, for you to thank the Lord for saving you, then your year is not off to a great start. Um. Oh, you know, we have it. Sunday was January third, so we gathered for worship on the first Sunday of the year, January third. So he said, if, if this is the first time uh, that we have thanked the Lord for saving us, that we've thought about uh, the glory of our own salvation, um, then we're then then we're doing it wrong. We we should think we should acknowledge the Lord every day, every morning we wake up as a new gift from God, and and that 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 sense of thankfulness comes through in this verse. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. Uh, my sin, not in part, but the whole. Um, uh, I just love that. And then, of course, the fourth verse, Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend, even so. It is well with my soul. Uh, wonderful hymns that we'll sing together on Sunday. And then we'll close. Our benediction will be in Psalm 108, verses 1 through 4. My heart is steadfast, O God. I will sing and make melody with all my being. Awake, O harp and lyre, I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great above the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. And I want to use that as our benediction, which might seem a little backwards, because that's uh, a lot of the psalms and a lot of the, the beginnings of psalms make for good calls to worship, because... You know, we're getting ready to sing together, so we would hear from the Lord a command to sing and, and a calling on us to sing together, then we would sing in, in the service. But rather, I want to use this at the end of the service this week to remind us uh, that our worship continues as we leave. Um, we will sing and make melody with all of our being. Uh, so not just with our voices, um, but here we see that again that internalization of worship with all of our beings. Um what gets so well clarified and established in the New Testament is already here in the Old Testament, um, even though it wasn't necessarily the emphasis. Uh, but we see that worship is all of life. So as we go from worship, worshiping together in church, um, we still have the imperative to sing and make melody with all of our being, uh, to give thanks to the Lord among the peoples, to sing his praises among the nations, because 
His steadfast love is great above the heavens, and his faithfulness reaches to the clouds. So, brothers and sisters, I hope to see you on Sunday. Uh, If you're listening and you don't attend uh, Tabernacle, I appreciate uh, you listening. Um, Of course, uh, I'm seeking to uh, disciple our congregation and help them engage in our services, but uh, I hope that you will do the same where you worship on Sunday morning. And may we all be worshipers this week, and we'll see you next week. 